Well, I'm glad that you've participated in the Name Badge Sunday. I've learned some extraordinary things today. Like one of our elders and our drummer is called Puma. I, I didn't know that until today. That was amazing. So he's not got a new nickname on the eldership. Let me add my welcome. My name is Paul Rees and uh, serve as the lead pastor here. And we're going to um, be returning to the book of Romans today. And so you might want to open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. As we've just sung, what an amazing privilege to be a Christian. There's no greater privilege. Uh, the, the Christian is someone who has experienced the mercy of God, and there's someone who is being transformed by God. And I believe that as we gather at times like this, this is part of God's ongoing work of transforming us as his people. And let's just pray again and ask for his help as we read his word. Father, we want to thank you for the enormous grace and mercy and love you've showered on us through the Lord Jesus Christ. What blessings are ours because he is ours. We thank you. And Lord, we long that everyone in the city would come to know this amazing grace. We long that every person in this room would come to know your amazing grace. And so we ask that you would meet with us now, fill us with your spirit, illuminate our hearts and minds. Would you continue that process of renewing our minds that more and more we would be a people transformed by your grace. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're in Romans 12 and... Um, the quick summary is that in the first 11 chapters of this book, um, Paul has laid out the gospel of God, the great news of what God has done through his son to save rebellious, sinful people like us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us so that we can be declared forgiven and justified before God. And instead of facing God's condemnation, because we're united with the risen Lord Jesus Christ by faith, we have peace with God. And there's therefore no more condemnation for us as Christian believers. And today, all over the world, people are getting right with God as they turn in repentance from their sin and as they trust Jesus Christ for themselves. And I want to tell you today that you can do that today. If you've not done that today, you could do that this very day. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so if, you, if you've been listening to us singing these songs and you think, gosh, these people really mean this and I'm not, sure, I'm not sure it means the same to me. Well, you can call on the name of the Lord today and you can be saved. You can enter into this. So the first 11 chapters outlines this amazing gospel of God. And then from chapter 12 onwards, Paul is teaching about uh, how the Christian life is a transformed life in the light of this amazing grace of God. Uh, we have seen from the first two verses that these are the heading of, of the rest of the letter. And that um, what we need for a transformed life is a reshaping of our minds. 
to no longer be conformed to the, to the thinking of this age that ignores or rejects God, but instead to be transformed by this renewing of our minds, an ongoing work. Because what you think will profoundly shape how you live. And from verse 3 onwards, he's been getting more specific. The, the first two verses are the, the banner headline for the, the rest of the book, but then he gets more specific from verse 3 onwards. And we saw, as he applied it to the, the Christians in Rome in the first century, that he wanted them to see how it changes their view of other ethnic groups, other social groups. That instead of being conformed to the ethnic and social prejudices of their culture, the transformed mind that, that, that is, renewed, is renewed by this thought, that as Christians we are all members of one body. And that's true if you're a Christian today, you're all part of one body. And we thought about the amazing uh, illustration of the human body, all those different organs which are rather hopeless outside of the body, separated from the body, but put them all together, working interdependently together, and there you have a healthy, alive person. Well, that's the picture of the transforming truth he wants them as a church to grasp. It's there in verse 5 of chapter 12. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. It's an extraordinary thought. We all belong together. We belong to each other. And when we understand this, then uh, our lives will be transformed and they'll be marked by humility, unity, and service. Well, that's what we kind of looked at last week. Now, the verses that we're going to consider over two Sundays now are that of verses 9 to 21. So please have that in front of you. And um, while the little headings in black are not part of the original text, it's not a bad summary of these verses, love in action. So let me just read these uh, verses from 9 to 21. So please follow along with me. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, 
It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is God's inspired, inerrant words. Now, the transformed life, uh, as we continue thinking about it here, in summary, is marked by that opening word in verse 9, love. We talk a lot about love today. There's a lot of fuzzy mantras out there that are fairly undefined. Love is love. Uh, well, Paul, actually, inspired by God's Spirit, wants to put some definition of what love in action looks like for the Christian with regard to other Christians, which we're going to consider today, and what it looks like for those who persecute Christians, which we'll consider next time. And um, what I want us to consider this morning is seven characteristics of this love. They're short points. Don't panic. We're going to have time to apply this before we're done as a church. And actually, as, as we go through these seven characteristics, what I want to urge you to think about is Is the Spirit challenging you about one area? Is the Spirit bringing something specifically to your mind that you can put into practice in this week ahead? So seven characteristics of this love that Paul is calling to, which is what a transformed life looks like. Number one, love is sincere. Verse nine, love must be sincere. And the uh, underlying Greek word there. Uh, is, a, is a word that means without hypocrisy. Actors on the stage in Greece were called hypocrite, hypocrites, and they would basically put on face masks as they acted out their, their Greek tragedies. And um, from that idea, we get this idea that um, you can have a person where there's a big mismatch be- between what they say and who they are. Uh, the hypocrite, like the actor on the stage. But he's saying, don't be a hypocrite. Love must be sincere. People can pretend to love others for another hidden agenda. Uh, The police had to pay out big compensation this last week uh, to a woman who'd entered into a relationship that she thought was genuine, but it turned out it was an undercover policeman who was monitoring their protest group. This is not sincere love. The love that God is transforming us towards by his Holy Spirit does not pretend to love for some other selfish reason, but genuinely loves others. You know, it's possible even to engage in uh, sharing our faith with others or even in serving others, not out of a genuine love, but because, well, actually, we're trying to get a reputation for ourselves. We're trying to impress others. There's something else going on, which really kind of undermines that. Insincere love will eventually show itself and undermine everything. Love must be sincere. Second point, love is discerning. Second half of verse 9. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Now, some actions are good, And others are evil. Our culture doesn't like to talk about this. 
Um, we have all sorts of other euphemisms uh, 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 that we use, but we don't like to use moral categories. But the Bible is unafraid of moral categories. There are good things and there are evil things. Now, how do you, what, what do these categories of good and evil mean? Well, the Bible defines them for us. God is good. Uh, he creates the heavens and the earth. Um, he creates this planet. He creates plants and animals. And he declares what? He declares it was good. I, have you been watching the green planet? Absolutely mind-blowing to see the incredible things plants can do. Uh, how on earth did all of that happen out of random accident? I don't understand it. How does an orchid it, it sort of evolve to look and smell like a type of wasp to spread its pollen when it doesn't have a nose and doesn't have any eyes? How does that happen? Mind-blowing. Anyway, the creation is good. And he continues to show his goodness, our creator God, by the way he sustains his creation. So Psalm 104 just is a psalm that delights in this. Uh, it says this, all creatures look to God to give them their food at the proper time. When God opens his hand, they are satisfied with good things. And so you see, the things that are good are the things that promote life and health and human flourishing. While evil acts are those that harm and damage and destroy this past week, we've been remembering the Holocaust and the millions of people that were killed in Nazi Germany. Evil, the destruction of life. Now, there's much confusion in our Western culture today that uh, describes things as good that are actually quite damaging and harmful to people, and, and the Bible calls them evil, while at the same time mocking what the Bible calls good or in some cases, describing it as evil. So we're in a really messed up society when it comes to good and evil. And so we really need renewed minds as Christian believers. And we're called to a discerning love. A love that hates all that is evil, but clings to what is good. Thirdly, affectionate. Looking at beginning of verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. Now, if the big renewing thought from last week was that uh, we need to wrap our hands around the fact that we're all part of one body, I think the, the big unifying thought in this section is that we're all members of one family. Uh, the two words in the original language uh, here in this little verse all point to the love that we have for our own flesh and blood family. Uh, be devoted is the word that's used in the context of affectionate love within a family, between parents and children. And that word love in the, in, in the verse is the Greek word Philadelphia, which means brotherly love, which is a great name for a city if it genuinely is like that. And here's the big mind shift for the Christian. Those natural affections that we have with our own biological family is now to characterize the affectionate love that we are to have with our fellow Christian believers. And that's why most commonly in the New Testament, as it refers to other Christians, it's, it's in the language of brothers and sisters. That's who we are. And however encouraging or discouraging our own biological families 
may be. There's a Christian family to which we belong. And how much we miss the family when when they're not physically gathered around the table with us. You're still brothers and sisters, even if you don't come to the table. But it's sad if you never see them around the table. And it's very sad, too, if they live in the same town and they hardly ever pop by. It doesn't fit, does it? So let's be aware of who's not gathered with us today. uh, Or who's not coming to our small groups or on our service teams. And and let's reach out to them. Uh, Let them know that we love them and we miss them. Some would dearly love to be with us today, but they're unable to because of illness or infirmity. And let's, let's visit them, let's encourage them, for we're all members of one family. Fourthly, honoring. This is a love that honors. Honor one another above yourselves. What does honor mean? Well, honor means to show respect, uh, to let people know how we value them, to express what they mean to us. And I would say as as British people, we are not temperamentally very good at this. Um, These are the sort of things that we say about people at their funerals, which is a touch too late, isn't it? Uh, But the things that actually you would say at their funeral, maybe we should start thinking about saying them a little bit earlier so that we can encourage each other by letting them know what they mean to us and honor each other. Having lived in America and visited America a few times, I think American Christians are much better at this than we are. And in fact, as a Brit, it feels a little bit over the top. Uh, You know, especially when they introduce the preacher, they go on and on, honoring the brother, and you kind of, as a Brit. But actually, I think it's genuine. Probably they're trying to faithfully work this scripture out. They're honoring one another And that's a real characteristic of love. And this phrase, above yourselves, could be translated to go ahead and lead the way in honoring others. Uh, Which is to say, don't wait for other people to start doing it. Just lead the way. Lead the way. And my goodness, how encouraging is a community of people who are seeking to genuinely, out of love, honor each other. What an encouraging environment that is. In a personal conversation uh, with an elder uh, recently, he took time to honor another church member. He wasn't doing it for any other reason because that person wasn't even in the conversation, didn't even hear it. But he honored this brother about how selflessly this brother served and expressing his admiration for him. And if this brother had said something, we need to really listen to him and it was a beautiful moment to hear that natural honoring of another. Fifthly, the sort of love he's talking about here is enthusiastic. Verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. So this is a sort of love that remains enthused. It never flags. That word fervor has a sense of a bubbling pot on the stove. You know that pot bubbling away, the lid clattering on the top. Uh, The love that we're called to is not kind of a cool, apathetic, half-hearted sort of love. It maintains a passion for serving. 
Now, having reached uh, what I believe are called the middle-aged years, and uh, feelings of tiredness come upon me, I read this verse and I find it a bit challenging. What is going to help us maintain our zeal and our fervency? Well, it's by remembering who we are serving. This may be of great help to mums who might think that they're serving their children. It might help uh, you in your serving team if you think you're doing it to help your team leader or, or, or the elders. Who are we serving? We're serving the Lord. This is what's going to help us. Who are we serving? We're serving the Lord. We're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. When we're weary, we should recall and remember who it is we're serving. Think back in what has been said about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is through our Lord Jesus Christ that we have peace with God. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We're standing in grace. We're surrounded by grace through the Lord. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Who are you serving? The one who died for you. And we are now justified by his blood. He poured out his life, bled on the cross to gain my justification, for me to stand in grace. And if we're flagging in our zeal, we should meditate on the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to freshly recall the gospel. To stand closer to his cross, as it were. To let the fire of God's love kind of begin to warm up our soul until it starts bubbling again. And it's by giving myself, I think, to serve the Lord that I find my enthusiasm is renewed. I find writing sermons really hard work. And I, 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 do, I, I suddenly find real interest in hoovering the house, and tidying things up, to sit there and think. But you know what? Even if I'm feeling cold, by, by the time if I've really given myself to it, my heart is singing as I am forced into his word and I throw myself on him in dependence in prayer. It does good for me and I'm hoping it does good for you as well. Enthusiasm. Sixth, patient. Verse 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. See, the joy of the Christian comes from knowing that today I'm declared right before God through the Lord Jesus Christ and that one day I will share in his glory, in the glory of God. That's the destiny of where I'm heading. Um, that's the future hope. That I will share in God's everlasting kingdom. And even in our present if our present experience is one of affliction, of illness, of hardship, of suffering, through faith in Christ, I can know a joyful hope that enables me to wait patiently in my experiences of suffering now. I visited an older member 
uh, this past week who's advancing in years with the usual challenges that that brings on his health and other factors. But you know what? Before I could even open my Bible, he was rejoicing that Jesus was his Savior. He'd gone uh, to prepare a place for him. There was going to be a room for him. Jesus was preparing it for him, and he was full of joy. Amazing. How do you maintain that sort of outlook? Well, I would suggest it's right at the end of that sentence, being faithful in prayer. It's that regular turning from our challenges and looking up and out and looking to God and turning in praise and in humble dependence upon this God in prayer that we're going to be able to be joyful in hope and patient in, in affliction. Prayer is the feeder, I think, for joy and persevering patience. Seventh, lastly this morning, generous. Verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is what genuine love looks like. It sees the needs of others, of our fellow brothers and sisters, and is willing to share what we have to meet their needs. It's quite simple, isn't it? But how profound and deep it is. What a wonderful, tangible expression of love. That share word is the koinonia fellowship word. And right in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church, the people got saved, they were added to the church. And one of the things that marked them as believers is they shared what they had in common with each other. They gave help to others when they were in need. And I know this happens in lots of informal ways in our church. I hear occasional stories of it. And I think it's happening a lot. Sometimes uh, people see a need and they want to meet that need anonymously. And so they give finance to the church and ask that it be passed on to that particular individual uh, to meet that specific need. We also have a fellowship fund. Uh, as, as a church and um, if the Lord stirs your heart to give to the fellowship fund you just mark that in and you're giving either through the boxes or you know, let, let the, the, the finance team know that the gift that you're giving is for the fellowship fund and what we do with that as elders is that we meet specific acute needs within our membership for those going through difficult times and what a practical expression of love that is how appreciated it is we clearly don't trumpet it but it's ongoing, and thank you for those who give to that fund. Because we do want to show practical love. But also practical love is shown in the way we show hospitality to each other. Uh, and to the, new, to the new Christian, to the new person in town. The Greek word for hospitality here is literally the sense of loving the stranger. To receive the stranger and welcome them. Now, in the first century, there were not, uh, not sort of travel lodges or lots of options for accommodation when people were traveling, and the inns were rather notorious places. So what a blessing for a traveling Christian to find churches where people offered their homes, opened their homes as places of welcome and food and somewhere to sleep. Uh, I was chatting to a man uh, recently who has started attending our congregation in the last few months, and he told me how incredible it was for him to be invited to someone's home, to sit around the table with the family, to enjoy a meal, to 
to just experience something of the love of the family in the open conversation and the food. He, he, he told me uh, that he went away from that home and he was thinking about it for weeks. He was amazed that there were homes still like this. He'd never experienced this before. What a tangible and wonderful way of expressing love. To open our lives, to open our homes, to, uh, to show hospitality in this way. What did Jesus say? A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The life transformed by Jesus is one that's marked by what word? Love. Good. Just to check this, you know. The life marked by Jesus is one of love. A few more convictions there. That's good. You are, you're warming up. And it's a love that's sincere, discerning, affectionate, honoring, enthusiastic, patient, and generous. Now, is there something that the Holy Spirit has brought to your mind as I've been speaking? A practical thing that you could do this week to love. I'm going to invite the band up, but I want to give you some silence. Just to turn to the Lord and ask for his help. And maybe put a note on your phone or a note of something that you're going to do this week in response to God's word. So let's take time just to meditate on this and apply it to ourselves personally. Well, there's no need to rush away after this formal time of church is over. What we've been learning from Romans uh, 12, verse 1 and 2 is that this sort of loving each other in community is part of our true and proper worship. And so the, the less formal time is still part of our worship. We can enjoy caring for each other, talking to each other, blessing each other. I'm really hoping that Scotland will follow England so we can ditch these face masks so we can find out who's in church with us. And I'm hoping soon we have tea and coffee so we can enjoy this fellowship time together. We could pray for that, maybe. I'll leave that to you. And as we've considered this list, I wonder whether, like me, you're thinking, oh, 
gosh, I fall short in a number of these areas. What can we do if we're feeling our lack of love? Well, let's talk to the Lord. What's the key fruit of the Spirit? It's love, isn't it? Love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so before we sing, let's, would you join me in a, in a prayer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you love to give good gifts. And so we ask that you would freshly fill us with your Holy Spirit. That his fruit of love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control might be seen in our lives and in our church. Empower us to obey Christ's command that we love one another with that same love that Jesus has loved us. We want to be known to others as true disciples of your Son by our love. In the name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen. Well, let's stand and we're going to sing, Come People of the Risen 